Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined, as always, by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. We are taping this on Monday. We're in the middle of Super Wild Card Weekend. Uh, I don't think I'm going to ask you for your Super Bowl pick, nor should I give mine. But we have a lot to get into. There's a lot of coaching moves. We are going to get into what's going on in Alabama, which is a fascinating dynamic with our man in Tuscaloosa, Aaron Suttles. In a little bit, uh, Stu, I think we, you and I have talked a bunch about Clemson and whether Dabo Sweeney can can get that back to a national title team again. They had a big move, which we can which we can get into. What else is um, Kevin Warren is leaving the Big Ten? There's a lot to get into. What what? There, how, yeah, and by the way, if you I don't know if you saw the clip, but at the Georgia celebration, national championship celebration on Saturday morning. Greg Sankey was one of the speakers and just out of nowhere makes a comment. He was talking about in the context of talking about Vince Dooley and what a great leader Vince Dooley was. He said, we frankly need more leaders like that in college sports, not people who, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, make a quick drop into college sports to enhance their resume before moving on to something else. So quite obvious who he was talking about there. Fair, it's not fair or not fair. What do you think? Totally, totally fair. Um, you know, Kevin Warren did not make many friends during his short tenure. Um, but I think there was a little bit of confusion of what he's referring to there. It's not about conference realignment. It's not about, you know, Kevin Warren needlessly held up Greg Sankey's, you know, playoff expansion plan for 18 months. He wasn't alone, but it made absolutely no sense why he was, you know, holding back on it. And then he does finally go for it. And now they've got this very compressed window to actually make it happen and implement it. And Kevin Warren's off to the Bears. I think that's the source of Greg Sankey's frustration. In terms of Clemson, look, I didn't know Dabo had it in him. We've talked for a while about he's so stubborn. He's so loyal. Um, well, he made a very tough decision to fire Brandon Streeter, who's been there um, a long time, was the quarterback's coach for uh, Deshaun Watson and for Trevor Lawrence and the offensive coordinator this past season. And he was only the OC for one season after Tony Elliott left for Virginia. And then boom, not only is he making that change, he's bringing in Garrett Riley fresh off helping TCU get to the national championship game, turning Max Duggan into a Heisman finalist. It's the first thing in a long time that, that kind of reignited my confidence that, Hey, maybe they're not going away. Yeah. And he knows Cade Klubnick well. And I, we, I think you and I both think he's going to be really good. Now what'll be interesting is, so Garrett Riley spent some, you know, he comes from the RA tree, but he also spent some time at App State, learned that run game, which has some, you know, Gus Malzahn influence from being under uh, Eli Drinkwitz at the time. I think that'll be interesting to see how that fit plays out. Um, you know, at this point, and I know we didn't script any of this or whatever, but like right now I have more confidence knowing what Florida State has coming back than I do in Clemson. Like if you ask me right now, whatever today is January uh, 10th, 16th. Um, <laughs> that's a big range there. Yeah, no, that's it's a big range. It's the 16th. It has I been a blur. Old man glasses. And I looked down at my little calendar thing and I was like, is that a zero or is that a six? So 10th or 16th. Yeah. Um, no, right now, if you ask me who would I have higher and who, do, who would I say would be the preseason pick to win the, the ACC, I would take Florida State. I would as well. Jordan Travis, obviously more proven commodity at this point than Cade Klubnick. And also, I mean, I talked about it on the, on the podcast we did after the title game. And I talked about how I was high on Florida state in the early top. We was coming back at that point. I don't know if we did. Um, we did. He had just, he had just announced it either that day or the day before. 
but yeah, I mean, most of their guys that could turn pro are coming back and they've brought in a bunch of good transfers again. He's built, he's really built up their talent there. Now they need to go and prove it, you know, outside. I mean, they did beat LSU in the opener, crazy game. Uh, LSU goes on to win the SEC, but they do need to, to prove it. You know, they, they did lose to Clemson this past year. They actually lost three in a row at one point and then went on to finish 10 and three. So, um, but yeah, I'm very high on them, but the Garrett Riley thing definitely, you know, it definitely um, makes things a little bit more interesting at Clemson. We have some very interesting OC hires to say the least, who will, who will have more impact on their team's offense next season, Garrett Riley or at Texas A&M, Bobby Petrino. Uh, both have good young quarterbacks. I, oof, um, I don't know. I, it's hard to unpack the A&M thing for me because there's just a lot of stuff going on there on that Jimbo Fisher staff. Um, you know, they're going to have a new running back coach. There's maybe some other parts moving around there. I would say Garrett Riley. I have such respect for, for Bobby Petrino as an offensive coach and only as an offensive coach. Uh, now it's been a while since he's been at that level, but I think they will be markedly better on offense. Um, Do you think they'll be a top 10 team? Top 10 team or top 10 offense? Top 10 team. No, I'm not ready to go there yet because I don't think the offense was the only thing that needed to be fixed. Um, We we had become so used to A&M having a dominant defense under Mike Elko uh, that maybe people didn't notice that A&M slipped to 109th in the country in, in rushing defense last year. Fine against the pass, but 109th against the run. All right, Stu, as we're talking, there's still, you know, feels like signing day, which obviously passed a while ago, but there's still another signing day coming up um, in a couple of weeks. One of the intriguing subplots in the recruiting space, and especially in the SEC, involves a quarterback we both talked about a lot offline from your area, Jaden Rashada. His recruitment has just been nuts. Um, There's a lot of... There's a lot of sketchy people involved around it, and I think that has only made this story a little feel seamier. Um, our colleague, Alan Taylor, who covers Florida, had an interesting uh, bit of reporting that he, in a story he did late last week, that kind of outlines, kind of give it a primer what's going on there. It feels like that thing is going to end up in a lawsuit one way or the other before too long, and you hope this kid is not kind of collateral damage to a lot of this NIL outlaw mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. As you know, I've probably followed Jaden going back to last spring. I've probably followed Jaden Rashada's recruitment closer than I've ever followed a player's recruitment just because I got so in the weeds in that NIL collective world. And um, at least initially he was represented by Mike Caspino, the same lawyer who did the, the deal for Nico at Tennessee and has tried to broker many other um, NIL deals. This is an example of when NIL goes wrong, uh, where, and you know, I really don't want to fault the player. I think his dad is the one driving it. They've just been in pursuit of whoever will, will give him the, the highest deal. And so he initially committed to Miami last summer and there were rumors of wild, you know, wild numbers were being thrown out there um, at the time. And it didn't. And the thing is, he is not, you know, the number one recruit in the country. He's a four star. He did not play particularly well at Elite Eleven, and yet he he's been talked about like, um, you know. Like I want to say on the on the Elite Eleven thing, like just knowing people who work there, it's like this kid is dealing with a lot right now. Where it was right after the Miami stuff and the reports of the of the I, I can't remember what number was thrown out at that time. It was a million dollars and. You know, you had, you know, Caspino was the agent who did the Nico deal. He's, he's, you know, floating around that story at that time. You have a lot of other characters involved. You have some, quite honestly, you, me, and Andy did that T.A. Cunningham story and some similar characters. It's all the same people. Yeah. And it's. So anyway, he, sometime in the fall, he, he, he flipped to Florida and, you know, somewhere around there Caspino started to become less involved with him he he flips to Florida but then signing day comes and Billy Napier's press conference is held up 
because they are missing one letter of intent and it's his. Finally, it comes in. They are able to announce him. Now, this past Friday was the deadline to enroll for this semester, and Jaden Rashada did not enroll. Um, Alan Taylor did a great job of, of, of uh, documenting this whole saga, and it seems that the, the, the holdup, the issue, the, the issue at the center of this is that at some point before he committed to Florida this past, let's see here, November, he and the Gator Collective, that's the, the main collective there at Florida. If you know the name Darren Heitner, the NIL uh, lawyer on Twitter a lot, he is involved with them. That they had agreed to terms on an NIL deal exceeding $13 million. Now, Bruce, put that in perspective. The, the deal, the Nico deal that got so much attention was $8 million over four years. So here we're talking $13 million. And I haven't heard of any other player since Nico that's gotten anywhere near that kind of money. Um, but Realistically, just, do, do, do people think that that money is act, that somebody's actually going to be paying this? This is not like a contract <laughs> somebody hired, you know, somebody signed with an NBA or a major league baseball team, though. Well, that's the problem with this stuff is if you've got a dad who is chasing the dollars, he might and doesn't necessarily know the system. No, I mean, you know, somebody texted me that day that Alan Story came out, who's familiar with the recruitment, and said, why would he ever believe they were actually going to see $13 million? I don't know. December 7th, Eddie Rojas, who runs the Gator Collective, sends a termination letter regarding the $13 million contract, according to a program source close to the situation. There are conflicting accounts about why the deal crumbled and who pledged to pay what. Multiple conversations ensue between donors and athletic department members, including their athletic director, Scott Strickland. Um, they, let's see here. This was in December. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know why he signed his letter of intent when he did. Then he did interviews at the Under Armour All-American game, talking about how excited he was to get to Florida. Um, in an interview mere days before his scheduled enrollment, his dad, Harlan, called Napier a leader of men and said, Jaden is as happy as I've ever seen him. And then January 10th, 16 early enrolls report, Rashada is not among them. A program source with knowledge of the entanglement says Rashada won't be enrolling in Florida. There's a lot of panic. It's like stepping on an ant pile. There's potential for litigation hinging upon whether the November contract is binding. Um, I, I knew this was going to happen at some point. These collectives are not, you know, they've come to, that word has come to encompass a whole bunch of um, organizations that aren't necessarily the same. Like Oregon's collective is run by former Nike execs. It's a you know, professional operation through and through. Um, there are others like that. I think Washington's has come together uh, really well. You know, uh, Tennessee, the Spire Group, they know what they're doing. This Florida one seems like it's just a, a, a shit show, um, just like making it up as they go along. And it was only a matter of time before somebody promised something that they couldn't deliver. And now there, there could be a lawsuit at hand. And you definitely have people, what has intrigued me all along, and it goes back to the Cunningham story that we did. You have these people in the margins. You know, you had mentioned Caspino. You had mentioned Darren Heitner. These are people who, like, have just surfaced in this in this NIL space. And Rashada, by the way, is now being represented by a, and I'm going to use air quotes here, agent, who I believe is still a student at SMU. Yeah, and I've actually talked to this this person, he was a former um, student athlete at IMG Academy probably like five years ago. Um, the The story is like, again, I feel like I'd be stunned if this does not end up in a in lawsuits and in court. Um, and you just hope that it feels like, you know, like a long time ago, and I don't even know, this might even before you working at SI, I did a big ESPN magazine story on Albert Means, where I got to maybe we had the first interview with him when he got to Memphis. And for people who don't remember that story, he was a very coveted defensive lineman. And there were six figures involved and end up the agreed party with, you know, through the high school coach. It was just a mess. And what I remember, I felt so bad when I talked to Albert Means because he really just, you know, how much he knew, I don't know. It was just like, 
at the end of the day, a lot of the times these kids and they're still kids get caught as collateral damage. And what I think of in the case of Rashada, which I think, you know, look, I hope for his sake, it doesn't turn out this way, but like you have some certain kinds of recruits are often quarterbacks, but not always where, whether it's, it's, Tate Martell, or you could name any one of these guys who was a former five-star and it doesn't work and they bounce schools and they become, they become punchlines. And now Jaden Rashad is going to be known as the quarter, you know, the eight figure quarterback in the NIL space. And I think it's hard for guys to, to, to have that hanging over them. You know, I mean, I just think it's a lot of pressure. I mean, this is the thing I talked about, like a year ago, we did that that thing. We talked about this where about a third of the five-star quarterbacks before all the NIL happened or the last decade actually kind of turned out to feel like five-star quarterbacks. Most of them didn't. And I said that was before the money and before the hype kind of weighed on them. Now that horse is so far out of the barn, my guess is you'll be lucky to have one in five as opposed to one in three live up to that hype. It's really unfortunate. Um, it it it's the kind of this story is the kind of story that makes everybody say NIL is ruining college football. I can't believe people wanted this. It it's not that NIL is bad for college football. It's the fact that the NCAA didn't do anything proactively, and now we've ended up in this weird, weird system where, like, why why are guys NIL um, deals in the hands of third party? donors have you know no like they should be done by the schools themselves but that would require the schools to actually acknowledge that they are athletes who are employees who you know work for the school and therefore can get that that money they are obviously going to adamantly fight against that until they can no longer do so and so they don't want to be directly involved and so you've opened your door i mean the fact that scott strickland the ad of florida like his job could be in danger over this and it's because of these third-party donors that he has no control over. So um, we'll continue to follow that saga. Um, to your point earlier, there is a lot going on around Alabama football right now, coaching changes and whatnot. So we figured we'd bring on our colleague, Aaron Suttles. We are pleased to be joined now by Aaron Suttles, the Athletics' excellent Alabama football writer. Alabama was not in the national championship game this year, but I feel like there's as much, if not more, going on there um than at georgia or any of the programs that did um kind of big picture first aaron uh you know we talked about alabama endlessly on this podcast this season in saying hey we don't think these they're as good as they usually are now at the end of the day they finished 11 and 2 they won a new year six bowl but how do alabama fans view the situation is this oh we just had a bad you know we just had a couple close losses tough breaks or things are spiraling I don't think the fan base thinks things are spiraling, Stu. I do think that they've scapegoated the two coordinators, defensive coordinator Holding, who's now gone off to Old Miss, and certainly Bill O'Brien, doesn't play with the NFL. They just felt like more than anything that an opportunity had passed, given the top-end talent that they had. Uh, they just felt like one slipped through their hands. They certainly don't think um, anything is broken and a message that is broken when he went out and reeled in seven fires in this recruiting class. Aaron, I wanted to ask you uh, a while back when I say a while back, it might've been like six weeks ago. Cause it's like, now it feels like my timing is off a lot since the season ended, but you had what I thought was a pretty candid. It was, I think it was your mailbag, but it did not sugarcoat anything about like the discipline issues. Maybe it was right after the Tennessee loss. I, I feel like it was in that kind of window. Um, what do you think happened? Why Stu and I were also at the Texas game where they were very fortunate. They didn't lose to a pretty average team and with a backup quarterback who was hurt and they had a ton of penalties and we saw them have a ton of penalties later on and some, you know, some, they were lucky to beat AM. I'm curious, what do you think has been kind of at the core of some of the sloppiness that maybe seems very uncharacteristic of a Nick Saban team? Yeah, I think penalties, you nailed it. This year, there was 15 at Texas. There were 17 at Tennessee. There was over 100 yards in penalties, I think, in the loss at LSU. 
Um, I think we saw the, what those three things have in common are those all are all road environments, which you're, you're going to have some procedural, I think, penalties on the road. But the amount that they had was stunning. Um, I, I haven't been able to put my finger on it because I do think they had the intangible stuff that you, you think would have limited some of those discipline type penalties. I think the coaching staff is just quite frankly not as good as it's been during the majority of Nick Saban's run. Um, and I don't, I don't mean to like demean any of those, those coaching staffs, but Nick Saban is having to rely on coaches that he does not have a personal connection with. And that's the only thing I can think of. The players haven't really changed. Um, Nick Saban hasn't changed. The program hasn't changed. Um, I don't know that the quality of coaching is there that has been in the past. And I think, from what I've been told internally, Nick Saban is relying on some people in making those hires that, that some people are questioning. And, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll certainly keep a, a sharp eye on that this off season with that as it pertains to the Alabama coaching staff. But I just think some of those coaches just aren't at the same level as, of what we've seen in the past. Yeah. And it seems like he's in the, in the initial stages of a staff makeover, perhaps obviously the first big move was, was Pete Golding going to Ole Miss? I think it's not a secret. He may have been encouraged to do so. Um, but the thing is, he's Pete Golding was there for for five years. So say you know, I feel like he was on the hot seat with the fans the entire time. But I mean, Nick Saban must have felt confident in him it, to a large degree, just because he's not somebody who's just gonna stick with a guy to be loyal. So why do we think this was the breaking point? I think Nick Saban genuinely likes Pete Golden. I think he's a talented coach, um, and I think there was a lot of loyalty there. And, you know, depending on who you talk to, he may or may not have keep Pete this year. Um, I think there was just a loyalty factor there with Nick uh, that, that he always Pete and thought he did a really good job. Um, but the fan base from day one has sort of scapegoated Pete Gold. That first year, you know, he took over – the defense early 2008 when Tosh LaPoy was a defensive coordinator, he took over after a couple of games while Tosh maintained that title throughout the year. It was Pete calling the defense. And, you know, early on in the, in that tenure, he was relying on, on freshman inside linebackers that uh, and they had just getting the line correctly, getting the call in correctly. We saw a ton of bust. And, and so that was sort of the fans introduction the first couple of years to Pete Golden in 2021 and 2022, their defense was actually pretty good. But listen, you're you're at Alabama and you access to all that talent and all that depth and all that roster, and you allow 52 points and don't make adjustments to Tennessee. You're gonna you're gonna wear it. That's just the nature of coaching at a place like Alabama. Uh, you give up 52 points to to Tennessee on the road and don't make a chain. Basically, make Jalen Hyatt a Blitnikoff Award winner in that game alone. Um, you go and you you lose to a, an average LSU team. You give up 318 yards rushing to a bad one-dimensional Auburn rush. Those are questions he had to answer, and that those are his responsibilities. And so I think from the fan base perspective, they were ready for a fresh start. And I think Nick Saban, he could have take, you know, taken or leave Pete. I think he liked Pete, but I, I just think there was a need to reset defensively. Aaron, let me ask you, so let's pick it up there. With this change, there's a few names out there. They're all familiar names, largely, especially if people follow SEC football. Um, you can start with Georgia just won a national title. Glenn Schumann got his the start of his coaching career in Tuscaloosa under Nick Saban and called the defense for Georgia as a co-DC. Uh, still young coach, very well thought of. Jeremy Pruitt, big name who did a really good job there and then obviously had a, had a really rough run or dreadful run at Tennessee. And there's NCA issues that obviously came to light there. Um, and then there's some, you know, Jim Leonard did an amazing job at Wisconsin. He's out there. Jimmy Lake, uh, Nick Saban once tried to hire him years ago, the former Washington head coach. How would you size up the candidates to come back to Tuscaloosa or to maybe be the be the new defensive coordinator there at the very least? From a fan base perspective, they want Jeremy Pruitt. Um, in my opinion, and I take nothing away from Kirby Smart, but I've been in Tuscaloosa this entire Nick Saban run. In my opinion, Jeremy Pruitt's the best defensive coordinator that Nick Saban's had. Um, Kirby's very, very, very wrong. I just 
my my preference on watching the defense is I like I like to watch five and four star guys go make plays. And Jeremy let, took the dogs off the chain and said, "Hey, go be aggressive." I think Kirby's a little more was a little more passive in his time at Tuscaloosa, <clears throat> and who knows, maybe Nick Saban was maybe a big part of that. But Jeremy had sort of the wherewithal to stand up to Nick Saban and say, "Hey, I remember in 2017 Alabama just had just a run of injuries at inside linebacker to the point where." You know, they're playing fourth and fifth string guys. And Jeremy, you know, the story I've been told is Jeremy, you know, had the intestinal fortitude to go to Nick Saban and said, we're going to – I'm not asking you. We are going to simplify this defense. And then Alabama, you know, sort of got on a run, won the national championship. They finished with the number one defense in the country. So Jeremy, I think, has this quality about him where I, I think it's good for Nick Saban that sometimes he'll tell Nick Saban no. Um, so, and he put great defenses on the field. Um, the NCAA issues are a big obstacle there. I don't think that the SEC would approve of that hire. Um, and I don't think pr- maybe the administration in Alabama would be thrilled with it, but they're not going to tell Nick Saban no. And Nick Saban has always towed the line with guidance from the SEC. I'm, I'm curious to see what he does this time. Um, in terms of Glenn Schumann, obviously great recruiter, sort of got his break into coaching at Alabama. Um, I'm curious to see if his name is popping up to get leverage from Georgia to get more money. I, I, I tend to think that Kirby would want to keep him. So I don't know how real his name is or not. I, as you mentioned, Jim with Jimmy Lake, Nick Saban has tried to hire him before. That makes sense. I don't know with his issues that he had out in Washington, how hireable he is, or if he's not given what he's alleged to have done. Um, and then, you know, name like Jim Leonard, um, that, that I've heard Nick Saban thinks very highly of, but I don't know if there's any connection there. And I don't know that if he has the ties in the Southeast to recruit at a level that Nick Saban's going to expect out of that position. But those are the ones I, I do expect Alabama to turn every rock over in the potential to try to hire Jeremy Pruitt back in some regard. I don't know if it will be DC, maybe it'll be DC, but even if he's an analyst, I would, I would, I would kind of be surprised at this point if Jeremy Pruitt's not back in Tuscaloosa. It's, yeah, I mean, it's crazy that, you know, I know that Saban had interest in Hugh Freeze and, and, and the SEC wasn't having that. Now he's the head coach at his rival school. I mean, at some point, Jeremy Pruitt is going to end up back in the SEC, whether it's with Saban or somebody else. So if that's who he really wants, you know, it would be interesting to see if he would do that against necessarily the wishes of, uh, yeah. Thank you. That's the issue is is Greg Sankey cannot prevent Alabama from hiring Jeremy Pruitt. Let's be on let's be real about that. They they can give guidance and Alabama has always heeded that guidance. As you mentioned, they did try to hire Hugh Freeze. They were sort of advised against it. They didn't. I, I do think there's some frustration internally at Alabama that while a couple of hires they've tried to make, they've been said maybe, maybe don't do that. While Auburn has went in the same period and hired Bruce Pearl and now Hugh Freeze, who both had their NCAA issues. I don't think that's an apples to apples comparison. But I do think that frustration exists internally somewhat at Alabama. So, And, and I think you need to look at Nick Saban being 71 years old at this stage of his career. Does he, Do you really want to break in a new coach at this point? I mean, how many more years realistically do you have? You've got a roster set up where you need some veteran coaches. And, and that's why I say when, I, when you ask me what's going on in Tuscaloosa, I think the quality of coaches plays a part in it. You know, and it, your, your coaches have been siphoned off by former – building their own programs and they take internally from you and you're left now where you've got these young coaches that may be great. They may be phenomenal coaches in the future, but you're at a point at Alabama. Why are we breaking in new coaches that really don't have an established reputation? And so I I think that's sort of where Alabama is. And and maybe while there's maybe while there's such a push internally at Alabama to get Jeremy Pruitt back. I want to ask you a question on this. You know, Stu just did his preseason two early top 25 and it's interesting because and I, where did you have him, Stu? Five? Five, yeah. So, like, you're losing uh, the former Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, who I think we all agree is a fantastic talent and love everything about him. You're losing one of the best, if not maybe the best defensive player Nick Saban's coached. You're losing a terrific all-around running back in Jamar Gibbs. You have staff shakeup, which they've had staff shakeup you know, a, a lot, obviously, but it's just like, and they really didn't have very good receivers last year. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I don't, I'm not saying Stu should have him 15 either, but like, 
if beyond just being Alabama and beyond just what the recruiting rankings say, if you are an Alabama fan, what are the biggest things that you look into that locker room and you're like, okay, these are things where they could compete with Georgia now? I think they're going to, I mean, this is going to sound sacrilege after what we just saw from Georgia. I think they could compete with Georgia last year. Um, I know, but those guys are gone now. Aaron. I'm just saying there's no Will Anderson. There's no Bryce Young. Um, there's no Jamar Gibbs. And, and again, I'm not saying the I think the running is- game's better. Jameer I think Jameer Gibbs was an incredible playmaker. He was not as good a running back uh, between the tackles as Jace McClellan. And I thought later in the season when they started giving McClellan the bulk of those carries, the running game got better. I think the offensive line's going to be better. Um, I really like what they've done. Uh, Eric Wolford's done a nice job, you know, stealing Caden Proctor at the last minute. We'll see if he's able to to come in and play tackle for them. But I, I think they got a good nucleus at offensive line that'll be pretty good. Um, I think running back's going to be great. I mean, you lose Jameer Gibbs, but he was he was more without him. Who knows what Alabama would have been this year? But um, in terms of just the running game, I think you know you look at. Jamarian Miller, who's who was a freshman this year, is an electric back. You got two outstanding guys coming in as freshmen that we've seen Alabama use freshmen before in the running game. I think the question for Alabama, if I'm saying, hey, how do they get back in the college football playoff, is who's quarterback and what wide receivers are going to step up. Um, you know, I think wide receiver was a, I mean, just a hugely disappointing aspect of the 2022 Alabama season. <clears throat> they got a junior college guy coming in. It's supposed to be pretty good. Malik Benson, who I've been told during bowl practices, was electric. Um, I think it comes down to just can you get established guys in at wide receiver that can make plays that they didn't make in 2022, and who's the quarterback? Is it Jalen Milrow or is it Ty Simpson? I, I think those are the two big question marks that I have. Otherwise, you know, I, I think they're going to be in it like they are every year, it, it, assuming that those aspects work out, which are big question marks right now. Yeah, I don't think there's any big talent gap between Georgia and Alabama if there is one at all. Uh, as you said, Aaron, they just signed the number one class. Um, and so it's one of those moments where, um, you know, coming off the 2019 season when they lost two games, I remember people had some doubts about Alabama, especially Mac Jones, and they ended up having their most dominant season of the whole run. So never, ne- I'm never going to write them off. It was just, you know, if you're doing a, uh, uh, one of these early rankings and you're looking at who's got what coming back, they, for, for a rare moment, they don't necessarily have yeah. big names coming back like they usually do. But, you know, I just feel like the narrative shifted very quickly from 13 months ago. Kirby can't beat Nick Saban. They lost again to them right in the, in the SEC championship game. And then Georgia gets them in the rematch and Georgia has this amazing season. And now everybody thinks Georgia's pulled way ahead of Alabama. I mean, they've won back-to-back national titles, and they deserve all the credit for that. But I don't think that means we've heard the last of Nick Saban. Listen, I, I think you, you you have to really sincerely appreciate what George has done. Um, you, it, at the same time, um, you know, does Georgia win the national championship last year if Alabama's got John Mechie and Jameson Williams? And if Marvin Harrison Jr. is healthy against Ohio State, do they? But – that's, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. They won it. So you have to totally respect that. But I don't think they're this behemoth that no one can beat. Um, and I think another factor, going back to Bruce's question that, that I'd have large in my mind, is who's calling the plays? I think Bill O'Brien's a, a good coordinator. I don't necessarily think his game is great at the college level, but he's a solid, solid offensive coordinator. But I think in the college game, the way it's, re- the way it's played right now, you got to be creative. And, and Alabama fans were certainly spoiled when you went on a run when you had Lane Kiffin, Mike Loxley, and Steve Sarkeesian. You're talking about gifted play callers and creative minds. And then you bring Bill O'Brien in, who's a little more traditional, a little more pro style, and it just wasn't that. So I, I think while, I, while I've been probably the biggest critic of the wide receivers that, they're, that you could be, I do think the offensive coordinator could help them out and get those guys open a little easier than maybe what we saw this year. Aaron, one last thing for me. So um, Stu and I, after the national title game, we were taping our podcast that night and Stu said something, which was like, whoa, I, you know, and I kind of thought more a little bit about it, but so every year we do these top 25 coaches rankings and Stu 
was throwing out there that after now Kirby Smart back to back, maybe we maybe we have a new number one coach should be on this list. Do do you think Stu is an idiot? I mean, <laughs> is an idiot for that, or like, I mean, what do you think of that? I mean, I I kind of feels I think somebody used the word blasphemous, you know, about something else before, but it was like to me greatest coach in college football history, but I could, I can see where Stu is coming from now, considering they just won two in a row. Just to be clear, I'm not saying that Kirby smart is now a, the greatest coach of all, anything like that no, historically, but, right? right now, who you who would you most want to have as your coach of your program at this moment? It's a tough it's, one. I mean, it's a fascinating thing to, to look at. I think media as a whole, or we're way too microwave prisoner of the moment. Um, you think we would have learned by now. I don't think you can get wrong. Um, I, I really don't. I mean, what, what Kirby has done at Georgia, um, I would argue, like, he should have had – I mean, why did it take so long? I mean, I, I've heard a story that Kirby and Nick used to laugh when they were together about how, how often Georgia couldn't figure it out, that it was the best job in America. And, and they weren't necessarily laughing at Mark Rick. They were more laughing at – how can I mean, how hasn't Georgia figured it out since 1980? They got proximity to all that talent. No offense to Georgia Tech, but they're basically alone in that state recruiting it. Why can't they get it right? And then Kirby goes over there and, and, and gets it right. So, I, don't, I mean, if you're looking at building toward the future, you got holds Kirby in his mid 40s. Um, and then you got a 71 year old. So if you're building for the future, you're going to take the, the guy in his 40s um, who doesn't seem to burn out. I will say this, and I was joking with Seth Emerson, who does a great job covering Georgia for us. I do think Kirby's got to start taking a little better care of himself. He he's looking. He looked a little rough in that in that, <laughs> in that national championship game. I, you know, I, the stress of coaching at an SEC school is, as you guys know, wears on you. And I, I think that's probably where Nick Saban, an underrated underrated characteristic for why he's been so successful. I mean, he's sort of boring. Eats the same breakfast. Eats the same lunch. He, but he takes care of himself. And I think, uh, you know, sort of just joking, that stress is, is a killer. But I don't have any issues if somebody wants to make Kirby the, the number one. I, I don't think Nick Saban even looks or cares about stuff like that. But um, if you're doing it in the context that Nick Saban is completely falling off, I would say you're a little misguided there. But I, And I'm not saying Stu thought that. But I think there are some people that like to like to build up, like to tear down. And they see Nick Saban having an off year this year quote-unquote, relatively to expectations. and But, hey, Kirby's earned every flower that he's gotten. This Winning back-to-back does not happen very often in this sport with a very realistic chance to go back-to-back-to-back. Yeah, I, somebody else can write that Saban is done hot take. Um, <laughs> Bruce is trying to stir here. Here, we'll end, we'll end with this real quick. If I was going to stir the pot, I would have said – the, the thing that's probably causing more for Kirby's stress is dealing with Seth every day. <laughs> we love you, Seth. Maybe he'll finally take, you know, I've Saban mellowed the more national titles he won. Maybe, maybe Kirby will too. Although I don't know if he has it in him. All right, real quick. Where each of us will answer this question. Does Nick Saban win another national title before he retires? Bruce. Yes. Aaron. Jeez. Yes. And I'm a yes. So clearly we don't think he's he's lost it just yet. I'll be if they come out this year and go nine and three, then we'll revisit that. But um I I learned long time ago to to never write him off. So yeah, where where's the recruiting class ranked again? Eighteenth? What was it? Number what? one. Number yeah, one. Thank you. So <laughs> number one the year after, I mean, notice that was after his um his his rant on Jimbo and buying a class and and, hey, I, and, I, was, and I will say yeah. this guy I was telling Matt Brown my editor that before the season that no one was really talking about it and it, if you look at it on paper it doesn't look like a world beater but that schedule this year with all those road road games I think really caught up to Alabama no one's going to look at that Arkansas game and think that's tough but you lost Bryce Young in the second quarter of that game then you had to come home and play. Texas A&M with that whole controversy, you had to play with a backup quarterback. Then you caught Tennessee on the road. Those are back-to-back-to-back games. You go to LSU. Um, you went to Texas. So it was, a. I think, the flip of that this upcoming season will put will pay off for Alabama. You're getting some more of those conference games that can sort of be up in the air. Sometimes you're going to get those at home. Good point. They did have a lot of tough road games. I'm looking at next year. The road games next year are USF, 
Um, that'll be interesting. Alabama playing at USF. I do remember when that was announced. At AM, uh, at Kentucky. At Auburn. And at Auburn. That's it, huh? And they get, you know, their Texas returns that trip. Texas will be in Brian Denny. By the way, just All before right. we let you know, one last, last thing. Um, is it a toss-up quarterback right now if you had to handicap it? I don't I don't think so. I think you probably haven't plays it up that way. I think we've seen a lot of Jalen Milrow. And unless you get an offensive quarter, coordinator that really can tailor an offense around Jalen's skill sets, I would expect, and this is just me not knowing anything in, inside information, just – sort of what I've been told and making my own opinion, I, I sort of would think that Ty Simpson is more geared to what, you know, to a complimentary all. But I think there are some really good things that you could do with Jalen Milrow. Bill O'Brien did not do. I mean, fourth and one, and you got, you got a five foot eight quarterback in, in the shotgun or in the pistol. When you got a six foot two, 220 pound quarterback that you could get under center and go quarterback sneaks with. I think there's some things that you could do with Jalen Milrow that they have not done. But I think overall, if you're going to build an offense, it's probably around Ty Simpson. All right. Well, I learned a lot in this conversation about the state of Alabama football. Aaron, you can follow his work at The Athletic. Um, We really appreciate it. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me. All right. We appreciate our colleague, Aaron, for all the insight into what's going on in Alabama. Uh, We're going to get to the mailbags, too. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. Dot com. Actually, one of the questions, Carrie uh, in Lawrenceville, Georgia, basically had asked about Saban compared to Kirby, um, 40-something Saban as opposed to 71-year-old Nick Saban. Um, I assume you would pick Kirby over Saban, just to be clarify at this point. Correct. Yeah, yeah. To, to, I, to, the question was, who would you want to run your program if you're starting it today? I think I would too. Um, All right. So let me tee up Matt Nicholson from San Diego. First and foremost, big fan of the show. Thank you, Matt. My question stems from something Stu said on the last pod regarding Jeff, the Jeff Brom hire. The last pod. I should interrupt you there. He he had this question on December 7th. Okay. Stating Louisville is quote, a sleeping giant, according to my colleague, taking factors such as NIL location and the size of the fan base, among other things into account. What other schools would fall into this category as a UCLA fan. I have long heard this title donned upon the Bruin program, and I'm still waiting patiently for it to come to fruition. Curious to hear what other schools and respective programs you guys would label as a sleeping giant. I appreciate all you guys do. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, that's a great question. And it kind of, you know, why it's first of all, you have to say, what's your criteria for a sleeping giant? And I got to say, I do not consider UCLA that. Another school I often would hear that about for years was Arizona State. Why do you not consider UCLA? I would agree with you, but why do you not consider it? I think that starts with you got to have the rabid fan base. You got to have a rabid, engaged fan base that really cares about the team. And that is the case at Louisville. That is not the case at UCLA. That is definitely not the case at ASU. So, uh, not to but say. What also that- goes along with that, Stu, is. UCLA is not a has not a force in NIL. They do not have with that they do not have the money people coming through to throw. Now, what's interesting is you you know there's a bunch of schools that have big fan bases that don't have much of their act together when it comes to NIL. UCLA does not have the rabid fan base. It's like an SEC school or a Big Ten school, but they also have been a not really a non entity in terms of the NIL space. And now they're going into the Big Ten where they're going to be competing against these schools that do have the rabid fan base and in many cases the NIL uh, up and running. So, no, I I would, you know, the reason I said Louisville, first of all, they've had success. It's obviously been in kind of pockets. It hasn't been sustained, but certainly going back to the first Petrino tenure when he had Brian Brom and Michael Bush and then the second Petrino tenure with, with Lamar Jackson. Um, so that potential is there, you know, another school that's always puzzled me and Aaron talked about like the, the bewilderment over why Georgia didn't win a national title sooner. I'm not saying this program should be in national title contention, but South Carolina, they pack, I think it's a 65, 70,000 seat stadium. They pack it every week. It is a big time SEC atmosphere. You know, South Carolina itself is not a, you know, a great, um, state for talent though they've certainly had you know big big name guys like Clowney and and Lattimore and whatnot but they're surrounded by states that are and yet 
they can never seem to get over the hump of being like a seven and five, eight and four kind of program. It just seems like they should be, they should be more than that. I think that's a really good answer. I absolutely do. Um, is Texas a sleeping giant? <laughs> uh, it feels like they are now. I mean, I get, I, I mean, are they, but yes, but are they, it's hard to say sleeping when like, and anything tech time, any Texas does anything. We talk about yeah. them. They're not really like hiding in the weeds. Right. Um, what what program I, I thought would have been better over the last, you know, I don't know, 20 years and they're pretty good. Um, and they've been pretty good with, you know, Pat Narduzzi is a coach at Pitt. Pitt has amazing football history. They have good facilities. They're in a recruiting hotbed and they're football, football, like mad, you know, part of the country. Right. I mean, I grew as somebody who grew up a Steelers fan, like I remember when Pitt was really, really good in the Tony Dorsett days or Tony Dorsett days, I guess at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had so they've had some definitely good teams, but I'm like, why I don't know if it's too much of a pro town. I I don't know. Like to me, like why why can't Pitt be a consistent top ten team? Top ten? Mm-hmm. Why can't they do what Penn State is doing? Gosh, I, that's Penn that's State's a had tough, three. That's 11 a tough, tough seasons. comparison. Penn State's had three eleven one seasons. I think in like the last six well, years. Well, Penn State is the definition of what I said: hundred and seven thousand seat stadium. You know, consistent recruiting, big name recruiting school. Like, I don't think that's a fair bar to measure Pitt by. I would say it has amazing football history. It has a really. I mean, granted, you're sharing a lot of stuff with the Steelers, but you're also sharing a lot of stuff with the Steelers. That could be a big selling point. You look at some of the best players, even in the NFL now, or in like Pitt has really developed a lot of talent. I'm just saying Pitt is good. It's been a long time since Pitt has been great. I think they should have seasons like the one they had two years ago with Kenny Pickett and when they won the ACC. I think they should have seasons like that more often than they do. I don't know that they're ever going to be a perennial top 10 team in a city where they are like, so far behind the Steelers in terms of priority. Um, but that division, I mean, it's just been sitting there for the taking for, I think as long as that division has existed. No, Virginia tech was a pretty stable, you know, winner, 10, 11 game winner for the first up until like the early 2010s. Here's right? a crazy since that stat. point. Nobody, nobody's been able to sustain anything in that division. Here's a crazy stat for you. Yeah. In the last 40 years you know how many uh top 10 p- seasons it has had zero zero Four, and they've since only had 80, 82 huh 82 they've only had one in the top 15 and that was or i'm sorry two in the top 15 i sorry coach wants that i just realized i snubbed you in 2009 but they've only had two in the top 15 that's why i think you know, I get it. It's a pro town, but also like there's a lot they can sell. Um, I still think Pitt and look, Narduzzi's done a good job, but uh, to me, that feels still a little sleeping giant dish. Okay, good answer. Um, all right, this is from my good friend Russell in Austin, Texas, the guy who I had to send the Zingerman's gift card to. I hope he enjoyed the uh, corned beef or whatever he decided to use $1,000 gift cards too. way to really set me back to tell you, to be honest. Um, are these NCAA violations against Harbaugh really boiling down to not telling the truth about buying a recruit, a hamburger? Is this the sanction that the quote sources are sure that Harbaugh is leaving the NFL over? Is the NCAA adding any value to college football at this point? And is there any chance the FBS? Oh, this really went into a, to a much different direction. Huh? Any chance the FBS teams, decide to split from this bureaucracy and if so well let, let's focus on the, the the matter at hand okay from what you know from your reporting is this really as simple as jim harbaugh took a recruit for a hamburger during the covid dead period and lied about it no i think it's a, it's a little more complicated than that i also think it's a little more complicated than getting ahead of the posse where oh somebody said you know jim you may be suspended for six games for this or something like that I still think the issue ultimately is Jim Harbaugh wants to win a Super Bowl. Jim Harbaugh never won a Super Bowl, right? If he's given the opportunity, like, I think people sometimes got this confused. Like, if the Vikings 
ownership and quarterback and whatever wanted to hire Jim Harbaugh, I'm guessing Jim Harbaugh is not in Ann Arbor for 2022, right? He left on signing day to go there. Um, Yeah. So it's not like if this NCAA thing didn't exist, I don't think that means the NFL. I don't think this is about the, I don't, I don't think the this is the NCAA thing that is at the core of this to me. I think it's still, you got this ultimate competitor guy who lost the Super Bowl to his brother, no less, was really close. Um, and I think now it's like, okay, what are what are my options about doing this, right? You know, like, I don't know if Jim Harbaugh is how, if you're the NFL, the people who making the decision on whether you hire him to run your, run your team or not, um, I don't know if you care what the NCAA thinks. I, I don't know why you would. Yeah. Right. Pete Carroll got the Seahawks job and, and, you know, I don't think anybody thought the USC would get hit as hard as they did, but the, the, you know, the NFL people don't care about the NCAA stuff ultimately. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see, like it's, there's been a lot of good news for Michigan over the last month with Blake Corm and a bunch of other guys coming back to Ann Arbor. And so I feel like whatever happens, this program feels like it's probably in a lot better place than it felt a year ago when people still wonder, was it fluky that they did what they just did? I remember when the Vikings thing came up last year. No, not so much that that when, when you reported recently that this might be another possibility this year, I remember thinking really the NFL is still interested in him. And then I'm watching the playoff games this weekend. Keep in mind, I do not follow the NFL nearly as closely as you or probably most of the people watching listening to this, but I'm watching all these games and it's like the coaches of these games, right? Kevin O'Connell, Brandon Staley, uh, the guy on the Dolphins. What's his name? Mike McDaniel. They're all like the same. Co- they're all like late 30s. Uh, I look up their bios. They were, they're all like two, three years removed from being a position coach. Yeah, relative to that, I could see why you would want an experienced NFL head coach who took a team to a Super Bowl. No, no question. Um, the thing By the way, he didn't just take us take a, like, again, I can't emphasize this enough. He was 44 and 19 as an NFL head coach. You do not rack up like, you know, over 500 wins in the NFL. That is not to be taken lightly. No. And the Uh, 49ers were not in great shape when he got there and they were in terrible shape as soon as he left. So, you know, I I get it Um, in terms of the NCAA stuff. I think Russell is insinuating as many Michigan fans have that this is all bunch much to do about nothing. He just shouldn't have lied. You know, the, the the amusing part about all this is that, you know, none of these P- Michigan fans who are downplaying it now were, I'm sure, felt much differently about Jim Trussell a decade ago when he lied to the NCAA and got fired over it. Um, that's that's the crime here, not the, the burger or the analyst coaching in practice or whatever. So I'm not saying he'll get fired for it or should get fired for it, but it is basically the same same thing Trussell got in trouble for. All right. So it's the off season now. We hope to um, do one of these every Monday. Sometimes that might change uh, based on if somebody's traveling or whatnot, but that's the goal. New episode every Monday. And emails will be a big part of it. So continue to send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time.